Yeah, if you're just joining us, we're going through the book of Acts. Um, and Acts is a neat book because unlike so many of the books in the rest of the New Testament after Acts, um, Acts is more descriptive than prescriptive. So Acts gives us an image of what a healthy church, what revival looks like. Um, whereas the books following us kind of tell us what to do. Acts shows us what it looks like. And um, my wife, she, um, she likes a, uh, a preacher. His name's Sean Bowles, and she kind of turned me on to some of his stuff. He's like a preacher, prophet type guy. Um, pretty neat. But he has a saying that he likes to say, and he says, revival... Uh, looks like healthy identity and healthy family. Um, revival looks like healthy identity and healthy family. And I like that because I think a lot of times when we talk about stories of revival in church, it gets really religious. And we focus on like what happens in the four walls of the church. But we don't focus about like real revival, how it affects families and how it affects us as people in the workplace and how it affects us in our marriages. You know, we always focus on like, you know, what was the preaching like or what was the music like or what was the music that came out of that? Or what was the theology that drove that revival? But seldom do we actually look at the real measurable effects of revival. And I think Acts is going to show us uh, three Acts 19 uh, today is where we're at. I don't know if I said that. But um, we're going to sh- look at, at three elements of revival, kind of three descriptions of healthy revival. And those are uh, repentance, exorcism, and disruption. So we're going to look at at three um, elements of revival, um, of healthy identity, healthy family, and those involve repentance, exorcism, and revival. So Acts 19 takes place in Ephesus. Paul's in Ephesus. He's in Asia. And um, he is uh, sort of meeting with um, the early church there, just people who are beginning to follow after the way. And uh, in verse 2, we, we read that uh, Paul says to the, the disciples there, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul says, into what then were you baptized? And they said, John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, the the early disciples in Ephesus, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And so we see here that repentance plays a key part in any revival. And 
I just want us to think for a minute about John the Baptist and what his ministry was about before we kind of get into the, the real practical of this for our lives. Um, John the Baptist, he obviously, um, he prepared the way for Jesus, right? I don't know if you guys have heard some verses that say John the Baptist was preparing the way. And the way he was doing that was he was coming in and basically preaching against the religious leaders of the day. Um, He was preaching against the Pharisees of the day because the reality is the religious spirit gets in the way of our repentance. And when we don't have repentance, then we don't have the spirit of God because we need to have humility for the spirit of God to work in our midst. And so what happens is when the religious spirit begins to take place in in a, a house of worship, repentance goes away because the religious spirit says the most important thing is that you perform. And repentance says the most important thing is that you acknowledge your need for Jesus. If we can get to a place where we acknowledge our need for Jesus, then the spirit can start working, right? And so John's role, he came and he was an un clean, he like wore unclean or, or non-orthodox, um, non-kosher, you could say, animal skins on his body, right? Everything about him was to be an affront to the religious spirit. And here's the reality, like in our churches today, the reason why we don't have people speaking in tongues is because the religious spirit gets so strong that people are afraid what it's going to sound like. <laughs> You know, or the reason why we don't have people that are trying to to heal in the name of Jesus is because they're afraid that if they fail, what's it going to look like in the lens of the religious spirit? right? We need to have a spirit that's so humble, a spirit of repentance that leads the way that we can begin operating in the spirit without fear of failure. For the pharisaical spirit, what happens when we take that spirit upon ourselves is we, we, our obedience comes first, right? But when the spirit of repentance comes upon us, we can risk obedience, right? Because none of us oftentimes in this world, we're kind of walking like we, we don't always know the right way to do things, right? But if we're in a culture of repentance and we know that we're always one repentance away from Jesus, right? It keeps us from being afraid of failing. And, and what we need to do as Christians is we need to have that spirit of repentance so that we can walk in whatever giftings God's put on your heart. I don't know if I'm making sense here, but I'm going to give you um, a couple really practical examples. For myself, um, I've been in somewhat of a tough season. I took some risks. I took some risks in business. I, I started a new business. I felt like God was leading me to do that. I didn't see clarity through community in the way that I should have. It was the right thing to follow God. It was the wrong thing to kind of follow God in a way that I, I needed more clarity. I needed more clarity from my wife. I needed more clarity from my community in the way that I did it. It's a learning process. And the beautiful thing is because I have repentance, I'm able to learn from that and grow from that, right? It's not gonna break me. But, but here's the thing, when I was in a tough 
a tough point. Um, I, I was... I had been on, on Twitter late at night and I had a few advertisements that came on my Twitter feed. And they were advertisements, um, basically uh, there were profiles and they were pornographic in nature. And I, I had taken them in with my eyes. And uh, as soon as I saw that they were pornographic, I clicked off, right? Because the religious spirit in me was, <laughs> was making sure that something within me said, well, no, I'm not going to look at that. But the reality was it came in through my eyes. You know what I mean? I took it in. And then there was a religious spirit that came upon me throughout the week. And I began thinking like, don't tell your wife about this. She doesn't need to deal with this. And, and the religious spirit came upon me and it, it started saying like, you can handle this yourself because that's what the religious spirit does. But the moment, and, 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 but the spirit of God also came upon me and I, I just felt like I needed to get this weight off of me. Like I couldn't carry this myself. So I told my wife what I had done. I told my wife that I, just what I had done, you know? And, and then I told a brother what I had done. And then I told Pastor Scott what, what had happened. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because that week I had a breakthrough with prayer. And I was able to pray um, for my family. And I was able to like approach work with a mindset that was kingdom minded and not just like, not just looking what I could get out of it. You know what I mean? There was a purity of heart that I was able to approach things with. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because we need, you, you don't need to see me get up here and act like I've got something together that I don't have. Like what you need to see is that repentance is the way to the kingdom. And that if we're going to operate fully in the spirit, we have to take on a spirit of repentance. That's the way to, that it goes. And so when Paul says, like, did you, did you receive the spirit? And he said, what were you baptized under? I was, they were baptized under repentance. Then they start speaking in tongues, right? There's a funny story. My dad says, my grandma and grandpa, they got saved in the charismatic Catholic renewal when that was happening in the 70s. And um, my dad told me a story once, and he said when my grandma went up and she started speaking in tongues, when she first started, she said, yabba dabba do. And, uh, <laughs> and like, the, the thing is, like, that could be like crushing, right? Like, that could be like, well, that's not how tongues sound. But the problem is the reason why some of us never speak in tongues isn't because it's not a gift for you. It's just because you have an image of some religious thing happening where, where like lightning's going to come out of the sky and you're suddenly going to be speaking in tongues because you receive. It's not like that, right? Like you have the spirit of God. You had repentance. And now it's time to operate in the gifts right? And so like part of being a religious community is having that spirit of repentance so we can operate, right? We don't have to be fearful of what that looks like. So that's one element we see in Acts 19, repentance. Repentance destroys the religious spirit within us. Um, a second element we see um, is a story about the sons of Sceva, and this is the element of exorcism. And um, the sons of Sceva, uh, we can call them, uh, we'll call them Jewish psychiatrists. They were uh, exorcists at the time. And um, they saw that Paul was doing these miracles uh, 
And when he did the miracles, he'd like use the name of Jesus. And so the exorcists, the sons of Sceva said, boy, if we use the name of Jesus, if we use this technique, maybe we can cast out demons too. But the sons of Sceva started playing in things they weren't ready to play around with. And they went up to a man who was possessed. And this man, uh, the demon took over and he ends up beating the sons of Sceva so bad. And they walk away wounded and naked. He goes right for their identity as exorcists and destroys them. I don't know if you've noticed, you probably have coming here. We have a lot of demonized people walking the streets of Providence. And um, I want to destigmatize what that looks like for us. Um, in the same way it was in Acts, uh, demonization looks like this. It looks like people who are so caught up in the evil that's afflicted their lives that they're living out their traumas and living out their wounds day to day, every day, right? So the boy who was bullied as a child then becomes the bullier. The evil spirit that came upon him in his most vulnerable state is now taking over his identity and he becomes the bully. Or the young girl who was abused and, and that was the only intimacy she knew. She grows up and her identity becomes, let's say, a prostitute right? Because the evil that came upon her now becomes part of her identity. Do you see? That's how demonization works. It's when the evil spirits come for your identity. That's how it works, right? And so the sons of Sceva think it's going to be some simple technique. And um, there's, a, there's a gentleman who's got a, he's got a, a YouTube series, and it's called Soft White Underbelly. And I don't know if you've seen it, but he's interviewed thousands of people who are facing homelessness. Thousands of people. He's over by Skid Row. Thousands. And someone asked him, he said, how many people have you seen changed and reformed their life? Do you know what his answer was? Four or five out of thousands have actually been able to break the cycle of demonization. He doesn't call it demonization, right? And the reason why is because there's a bunch of sons of skivas out there that think a little scientific technique is going to heal people from their deepest wounds, right? But the only thing that can restore identity is the power of Christ. And we know this. And the problem is we get caught up with, with like, we will see a person and we'll embrace everything about that person. And the reality is sometimes there's demonic activity within that person. And we don't rebuke the demon while loving the person. We don't have an ability to do that because we don't see the spiritual realm. Because we, we're so Western, we're so modern in our thinking that we see a person, we say, well, this is just a person who's mentally ill. This is a whole person. They're just mentally ill. They have multiple personalities, whatever it is, you know? But the reality is, the reality is we don't speak the authority of Christ and reject the false identities that plague the demonized. And that's ourselves included. We all carry false identities that we live out. We all carry traumas that we live out, right? And, and the beauty of being in relationship 
here and being in relationship and community and being a part of small communities where people know you and you allow people to speak into your life is you're allowing people to say, that's wrong. Other believers, when the sons of Sceva beat up the demonized man, they say, Jesus we know and Paul we recognize. I'm sorry, reverse that. When the demonized man beat up the sons of Sceva, the demon said, Jesus we know, and Paul we recognize, right? And so when we're in community, we have the authority on the power of Christ to reject the false identities in one another, the demonic in one another. When we're outside of those communities, we, we lose sight of that, right? Um, uh, just a, a quick example or two. I was walking home. We went to, um, I, I just want to kind of get this a little better understanding. We, when we had the taco community meal over at Fox Point, um, I was walking home and uh, a man crossed the street. And I didn't think about it at the time, you know, because... They set up a warming shelter right near where we, where we live. And you kind of just get used to, to folks who are just caught up in trauma that it's just another person. But this guy passed me and he was like screaming out and he had a boom box playing. And, and I, I kind of like went on the other side of the street. You know what I mean? Because he, he was just had a weird energy about him. And I went on the other side of the street and he like continues to kind of walk parallel with me on the other side of the street. And he's just screaming out. And I'm like, all right. And then all of a sudden I noticed and now he's walking right behind me. So then I kind of peeled off into the neighborhood before and he's like walking right behind me in the neighborhood. So I just turned around and I said, are you following me? And I kind of looked into his eyes and he had like hollow eyes. You know what I mean? And he said, yeah, I'm following you. I don't like the way you walk. You walk gay. And um, I was like, I walk gay? Um, and I said, I said uh, well, I'm, I'm married with a child. And, uh, and he goes, I don't like your clothes. They're gay. I was in like, I'm a white guy and like jog. I had like my joggers on and like a jogging shirt on and my, you know what I mean? But See, what was happening, I just want to make this clear. What was happening is he was attacking parts of my identity, right? And I wasn't rebuking the evil. See, this man had been bullied at some point in his life, and something had been taken from him, and now he was caught up in this system of bullying. And so he started saying, give me your shoes right now. He said, I'm going to call someone else right now. He's like, I'm going to shoot you. And he hits me in the chest. He said, I'm going to follow you home and see where you live. Right, and what he was doing was he, the the demon in this man was attacking my identity. Do you see what I say? My identity as a father, my identity as a husband. The demon in this man was trying to get me caught up in these games, right? But the reality was, the Christ in me needed to just rebuke the demon and and walk away. And I was like, it, it was it was. You know, I'm like, and then I, and then I said, look, I'm going to, I'm going to call the cops because he's like starting to hit me. And I don't know if he actually has a gun. I I don't carry a weapon. 
you know? And then I'm thinking, here's a black man, and I'm a white guy, and I don't want to call the cops on him. Like, that's not how I want to do things, you know what I mean? In the community that I live in, like, I don't want to perpetuate something. Like, I don't want to make this guy another statistic. I'm getting caught up in identity games, right? Instead of just rebuking what was wrong in this moment, that this man was caught up in a cycle of bullying or be bullied or be, you know, you know what I mean? So, um, like, that's one example. And, like, I, I, I think I want to give a positive example, too. I kind of ended in a weird way. Like, he went a separate way. He said he was, like, calling people to chase me. I was afraid walking home. I was afraid he was going to see where I lived. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't, like, the fear started taking over the way I was thinking about things. But I want to give a, a positive example, too. And, um... A few, like, this is a, one of my favorite moments here at Wren. And um, we, we used, at one point, we had set up like a, like a, um, a Saturday, it was like a, we called it House of Bread, and we were feeding homeless folks. And it was way overwhelming, it got way overwhelming quick because we weren't ready to deal with the level of trauma that, that we thought we were. And uh, people were like using in the bathroom. It was, it was getting like just too much for us. It was too much liability. We took on more than we thought. And so we had to shelve it for a minute. And uh, I remember that, that um, at the time, it was kind of a divisive issue because Pastor Scott had talked about how important it was that we would reach out to, to people facing homelessness, right? But, and then, but then there was one member especially who was upset about it and began to sow discord among the brethren, right? And I knew this person well. I had started to know this person well, and they had a history of trauma, right? Like a history. And, and I knew what was happening was like Scott was suddenly becoming this, this figure of distrust for her, you know? But I remember we had a, a meeting and, wow. and um, I, I'll never forget it. The person kind of starts speaking out against Scott, this, that, that. And And Tiffany Axman stands up and by the power of Christ, like totally like rebuked the, the, the lady. And it was like one of my favorite moments ever because I saw her coming to her husband's back and I was just in the back like, yeah, you know? And, but what she was doing is she was through like Christ saying, no, like, no, what you're saying is wrong. Like what you're saying is wrong. She wasn't saying like, you can't come here. Like you as a person, like we reject the, you know, the little girl in you that like wants to be held by the father. Like she wasn't saying that at all. She was saying like the, the cycle of like what you're doing right now and going from one church to the next and sowing discord here or there and like not staying under the lordship of Christ and not being in relationship, that's like wrong. She didn't go into detail like I just did, you know? But like that to me is like kind of how we have to be. Like we have to all learn to have that kind of tool in our toolbox if we really want to be people who can have revival. And we have to have each other's backs too. Um, so exorcism is an important thing for all of us. And the way it happens is in community. Um, it's an important thing for all of us to be able to practice. 
All right. And, and just the final thing I, I want to talk about is disruption, and that's kingdom disruption. Um, so after Paul, after the Sons of Sceva incident, uh, there's a riot in Ephesus. And basically what had happened is Paul was teaching that um, idols made with human hands were not actually gods. And they needed to be like, and, and basically people were making money by building these idols. It was a huge source of income for the, for the community. And so when, Paul, so when Paul and the other disciples are spreading the gospel, um, people are giving up on buying out idols. They stopped buying idols. So it became like a huge source of conflict for the community because suddenly a main source of their economy was drying up. Because that's what Christ does. Christ's kingdom comes and it turns things on their head, right? Um, and so I just want to really quick give a, a, a real brief overview of where I think Christ's kingdom is today, where, where it's been, where it's today, and where we are within that. After Adam and Eve sinned, if you had looked in the garden 10 minutes after they had sinned, that garden would have looked the same as when they took the apple. Okay? So what I mean by that is 10, 20 minutes, you still felt like you were in paradise. If you had gone back there 100 years later, you would have seen trees that had fallen down and decayed. You would have seen animals eating each other, right? Sin spread slowly through the garden. This is why Jesus warned of the, the, the leaven of the Pharisees, because sin spreads that way. Within generations, right, God was sending floods because the wickedness was so rampant. Um, by the time Jesus got here, there, like 90% of the world were total pagans. It, I, that's a false statistic. But the majority of the world, you know, practiced child sacrifice. There's all kinds of craziness. Women's rights were not a thing by the time Jesus got to, to earth. After Jesus died, again, 10 minutes after, he, let's say 10 minutes after he ascended into heaven, the disciples probably looked at each other and said, you know, not a whole lot's changed. But Jesus also compared the kingdom to leaven and that it spreads and it spreads slowly. It's wars won over time. The reason why I say that is because 2,000 years later, there's billions of Christians on earth right now. And, and where we are within that story we're in a segment of the world that is like a last enclave of the enemy, right? We are in one part of the world that a battle, we're like, it feels like we're losing because we are, as, as Christ followers, as people that believe Jesus is Lord, we feel like we're like, the vast minority. Whereas if we went to the global South, if we went to areas where the gospel is spreading, we would see that we're not actually the minority. If we saw heaven right now and saw billions of people, there's gonna be billions of people in heaven, right? It's not gonna be an exclusive club. There's billions of Christians on earth right now. Why I'm saying that is because where we are, though, it feels like we're a minority that's losing the battle for Christ, the lordship of Christ. 
And so that's disrupt. Every time we proclaim Christ in a real way in this society, it's disruptive, right? When we say Jesus is Lord over my sexual identity, there will be riots, like there will be riots. If, if we posted on Facebook right now, like how we feel like everything about um, what we believe about how we should be with our bodies has to come under the Lordship of Christ, we'd probably get a bunch of crazy posts or like, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not good with all that, but I'm just saying like, you can imagine that being disruptive um, for that making Jesus Lord in very practical ways is extremely disruptive. In the same way they rioted in Ephesus, um, we, we can't be surprised when taking a stand for Jesus causes riots here. Um, but it can also be disruptive in subtle ways. Like, and I want to give one example. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, Mike and Courtney took Nicole and I out we went on like a double date and we went to, um, it was kind of, um, it's kind of like, a, what's the word to describe it? It's like um, escape room. It's kind of like an escape room, you know? And um, it was so fun. And like, it, it was like, it was kind of expensive, but Mike and Courtney were just super generous and they like footed the bill for us. And like the way, I think that the way of the world is like, that's not how they, like, that's not kingdom thinking to like be extraordinarily generous, right? But because they were extraordinarily generous, it was like manna from heaven for us. Like I got to see my wife, like it was like, she was almost like a child. Like it was like fun to get to see her really enjoy herself, you know? And, um, and like, that's a way that we can be disruptive too. Like, it doesn't all have to be like storming into the temple. Like, it can just be subtle ways as well that, that we as, as Christians and believers can proclaim the Lordship of Christ above like what our current bank account is. We can trust God beyond what our current means are, you know? And, um, and I think the reality is like, you know, being revival people, it is innately disruptive. Um, there are ways that it's going to feel difficult. And especially because we do live in a, an area, in a region where the battle isn't won yet. And, and the battle is, is being waged and is being won in a, in a real way. But again, it took 2,000 years to get to this point because that's the way God's kingdom works. And just being, we, it's so important for us to just be um, trusting in, in the way that, that we're disruptive, right? Yeah. And I'll give one final example and, and then we'll, 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 I'll pray us out. When I was like first coming to Christ, like I remember I was going to this church every once in a while. A friend was trying to bring me to church. It was a, a Calvary Chapel in Philadelphia and they had like a young adult night. And I would go and, and the guy that would preach there, he, um, he would, uh, he talked to me once after and it was like, and we were talking about theology and I was like, telling him like kind of what I knew about theology. I knew a little bit, like I was talking to him about like this guy named Carl Barth. And, you know, he was like, I think I, maybe I was trying to impress him a little bit with like my, my theological knowledge. And, 
like a week or two later, um, he looked at, he, I saw him again. He said, hey, can you remind me of your name? I said, my name's Chris. And he said, I forgot your name, but I've been praying for your face like all week. And he said, and the reason why is because like I could tell you I like, knew something about theology, but you didn't know the spirit. And, um, and he was like totally right. And that was so disruptive. And it was like so disruptive in a good way. And the reality is he like doesn't know right now that I'm up here preaching. And, and the reason why he doesn't know is because there's so many people that were disruptive in specific ways to get me to turn. And at the time, they probably were just like, that's someone who just rejects me, right? But the, it's in the hidden things that God is working, yes. right? And like, it was in the way that he was like, just quietly, you know, authoritatively disruptive of where I was at that has an effect on me today. And so I just want to encourage you, Christ is disruptive to the powers of this world. Don't be surprised when you encounter troubles, right? But know that the little bit of leaven that you might be sowing, even if it's not what you see in this lifetime, is rendering like a major reward in the kingdom. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, actually, you know what? You. I'm going to have Scott come, come pray for us, if that's okay. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, I'm a little taller than Chris. Happy birthday, Chris. What a powerful word. What an interesting word. So many things to talk about and pray through. And it's a fun chapter, Acts chapter 19, isn't it? I love the book of Acts. And I love this uh, almost like permission to, to be disruptors. I mean, some of us are naturally, right? You were kids. You were the kid in school who naturally disrupted things. And just kind of turned over systems because that was kind of fun. And then you became a Christian. You're like, oh, I have to behave now. But then you realize, maybe we don't. There's a different kind of sanctified misbehaving, right, that is, that is fitting, that's like God-approved. And uh, I love that. And I love, too, how Chris brought out, you know, there, there are both negative and positive ways to disrupt. It is disruptive, just what we believe, um, what we believe about sexual ethics, that we believe that Jesus is the only way. That is very disruptive. That we believe that no amount of good works can qualify anyone for entrance into God's eternal kingdom. That the only thing is the righteousness of Jesus. Uh, that is disruptive, right? To a, to a society that thinks they're good, especially, right? Or even to a religious person. Um, so there are very disruptive things, that there is an eternal judgment and that there's a hell. These are disruptive things that we, we, 
we tread, hopefully we tread kind of lightly. We don't bring that, we don't, we don't lead with those truths often, right? When you meet somebody for the first time, hey, guess what I believe? I believe there's a judgment, you know, and you just kind of come at it like, you kind of ease into that. Maybe that comes up at some point and we should be gentle, right, with these things because they're, they're, they're weighty things that, that we believe. But they are, the bottom line is they are disruptive. And as I've said many times uh, from, from this pulpit, the primary reason tens of thousands of Christians have been martyred through the ages has not been because they were so nice and because they served the poor and they did good things for people. It, it, it's because of what they believed, right? It was disruptive. What It was infuriating to societies what they believed. And often the ones who killed them were the religious crowd, like Jesus, or like uh, Chris pointed out. But I love too how generosity can be disruptive. Right? And how kindness can be disruptive. And just our presence in a person's life of compassion can be incredibly disruptive Mm. in in a good way. And we, you know, some of you know we uh, we participated in this event yesterday called Hope Day down in Warwick, and it was about twenty different churches that that participated in this. And this is a good example of disruption because uh, you know the the kingdom of darkness is very much present in Providence and Cranston and Warwick and all over, and and yet there were twenty churches working together yesterday to just do good things and to serve people and to pray for people and to have a kid's area and live music and giving away shoes and groceries and free food and all that. It was just a nice thing. But almost a thousand people from the neighborhoods streamed in yesterday. And my my job was, uh, I was like, I was the welcome wagon. It was so fun. And at one point, it was a little crazy. There was about 300 people lined up just wrapped around this this fence, uh, waiting, kind of waiting to get in, and it was a trickle to get in because you need to get a bracelet and register and all this stuff. And so I'm just I'm just kind of walking through the crowd, and it was just so fun to disrupt Satan's stronghold on people and just come in with love because you know people have they're they're uptight, right? Oh, what is this church thing? They're going to be what are they going to do? They're going to push something on us. They're going to you know there's like this just like angst almost, right? And just to break that down and just just started blessing people, just start loving people, listening to them, joking with them, just, you know, setting them at ease. But I felt like I was just disrupting things, just going down the line, <laughs> just blessing people. All that to say, yeah, let's go forth and be disruptors for the King, for King Jesus. Um, let's pray. Father, Amen. make us like, like your son, yeah. like Jesus, who was incredibly disruptive, both positive and negative. There was no way that Jesus was just going to go to a town and, and sort of nobody notices him. 
because you know he just kind of blended in. There was no nothing about blending with with Jesus. He would go in, and people would hate him or they would love him. Uh, people would stream to him or they would uh, want to kill him. They were either sort of for or against him. Lord, I pray that as a church community, that we would be potent spiritually that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would be filled with truth, and we would not be afraid of being disruptive in our societies. And Lord, yeah, let it happen for the glory of your name. We care about the tens of thousands of people around us who are lost. And so God, just make us potent as a church community uh, let let our impact be deep in the culture, yeah. and show us how to do that. We don't want to do that in the flash or disrupt things uh, stupidly, or out of you know just just being cantankerous for you know out of the flesh. Lord, we don't want to do that. But Lord, we want to be bold yes. in both uh, the positive and sort of the negative from a worldly standpoint. Of, of just pushing the gospel forward in a region. So yeah, show us how to do that. Lead us every step of the way. Let love fuel everything that we do. And may it be for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thanks again, Chris. Great message. Have a great week.